Open your Bibles, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll begin reading in verse 25. Now, the first message I preached uh, this weekend really was setting the context of Ephesians chapter 5. So often when we think about the context of a passage and we hear preachers say you need to read the Bible in context and not take verses out of context. And so we think, well, I need to read the paragraph before the verse I'm reading and the paragraph after. Or I need to read the chapter before what I'm reading and the chapter after. Maybe we think, I need to read the whole book to make sure I don't take anything out of context. But to really never take anything out of context, you need to read the whole Bible. The Bible is the context of every verse. And so the context of the verses we're, able, we're about to read is, are, the context is this, the God of the Bible made male and female in His image. And we were made in the image of God equal, but with different roles. And then, not only were we made equal, but with different roles, but we were also made, uh, we, we fell and were cursed in those roles. And now Christ, and this is what Ephesians 5 is all about, Christ is redeeming us in those roles. And I, I'm, I'm uh, extremely burdened uh, this evening about sharing with you from these verses because few places provide such opportunities for silent pain in the life of many Christians in marriage. For difficulties that, that break their hearts. A few things jade young single people away from marriage more than perhaps the marriage of an aunt or an uncle or a marriage of their parents. And, and, and nothing, no human relationship reflects the glory of Jesus and the church more than marriage. And so for God just to give us a little glimpse of that tonight would be, would be glorious. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm sorry, I think I said 25, I meant verse 22. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor. Think about that. You think about a bride just spending all day long looking as good as she possibly can, getting her dress fitted perfectly so that she can walk herself down the aisle or have her father walk down the aisle to present her to her husband. But here it's actually Christ who gets the bride ready. 
so that he can then present her to him himself in splendor and glory, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of His body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. Father, would you come now and help us? Lord Jesus, you came and cleansed us and made us without spot or wrinkle or any such thing with your precious blood and by giving us your perfect righteousness and clothing us in it. And now, Lord God, would you teach husbands how to do that to their wives and teach wives how to reverence their husbands as the Lord who is their Savior. Lord, this, Satan hates these truths. He wars against them. We're told in the very next chapter to put on, to put on, Lord God, truth. We're to put on the belt of truth because Satan loves to slay the truth of the gospel and marriage, to cloud it, to make it so that people won't receive the equality of men and women. They won't receive the glory of marriage. And so they pervert it. Lord God, would You please do a mighty work by Your Holy Spirit for the name of Jesus, we pray. Lead us in paths of righteousness. And we trust You will. Amen. I've turned us to the classic passage on marriage in the entire New Testament. Nowhere in the New Testament do we get a fuller unfolding of what a Christian marriage is to look like. We get, uh, we get the same teaching in the book of Colossians chapter 3, but yet we get it condensed in shorter form. We get very similar teaching in 1 Peter chapter 3, but we get the addition of what it looks like to be married to an ungodly spouse. But here, side by side, in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, we get a call to Christian wives to reflect the church and a call fully unpacked to Christian husbands to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. And the basic teaching of this Scripture is often known both to believers and unbelievers alike. This is a passage that unbelievers are aware is in the Bible. The part that calls the women to submit and gives men this horrible thing called headship over, over women and seen as this oppressive, dominating relationship. And it's also a part that believers understand. We, we I hope, understand the basics of this teaching. That we, we are in marriage, are a reflection of Christ 
and the church. That Christ has come as a husbandman to come and to redeem a bride. And He has cleansed her and washed her and brought her to Himself. And now, according to 1 Corinthians, they are betrothed to one another. And in Revelation 19, they will enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb together. And here on earth, each husband and each wife is a reflection of that union between Christ and the church. And they reflect it when she comes under Him, submitting to Him as to her Lord, and as He loves her and washes the Word over her as a loving, redeeming Savior. When that's happening in marriage, you have a visible presentation of the Gospel in every home that submits themselves to the Word of God. And you also have just infinite glory in this relationship. You don't simply have a friends with benefits relationship or sort of a glorified roommates relationship or just a contract between two people to stay together. You have a display of the most significant relationship in the universe between man and God. That's what's happening in front of the children in your home. Or it's what's being distorted in front of the children in your home. That's what's being displayed for you that God said, I'd like you to live in a home with someone and participate in the living out of My Gospel. I don't just want you to hear it preached on Sunday. I don't just want you to see it enacted in the Lord's Supper. I want you to get the opportunity if you're married to live in it. And if you're single, to walk into homes of married people and feel the love. I remember when Christy and I were uh, dating and on our way to be married, we were walking down the hall of the college we attended and someone walked between us and they said, ooh, I can feel the love. And, and that, that ought to be the sense, the, the hot sparks of the dating relationship and the deep burning coals of 40 and 50 years of marriage, you ought to walk into the midst of that, into the homes of that, and feel the love. And so, this passage tells us what a Christian marriage is to look like. It's a reflection of Christ in the church. The reflection is made perfect when a man loves his wife, cherishes his wife, nourishes his wife, cares for his wife, keeps her warm, that's what it means to nourish, and sorry, that's what it means to cherish, and feeds her, that's what it means to nourish. And it happens when a woman submits to and comes under, and the word actually for a woman respecting her husband in verse uh, 33 is, is phobos, as she reverences him as she would Christ. That's how that all happens. And what I want to tell you in this sermon is how not to obey Ephesians 5. I want to walk with you how not to obey this. Because my, my experience is that most Christians who have been in the church for any amount of time know these verses. They know the basics of these verses. They know the truths contained in them. And yet, somehow these verses are particularly susceptible to the attacks of the devil. 
which should not surprise us because the next chapter deals extensively with spiritual warfare and the devil's attack on truth and the devil's attack on righteousness and the devil's attack on our relationship. It should not be surprised, surprise us that this marriage relationship with these clear verses that explain it is so hard to lay hold of and so hard to apply because it is specifically under the attack of the evil one. And that's why people can know I'm supposed to lead. She's supposed to submit. This is glorious. This doesn't feel glorious. This doesn't look glorious. I don't seem to be able to submit. He doesn't seem to love me like Christ loved the church. And so what I want to look at is what goes wrong. What goes wrong that we could take these clear, simple, glorious verses and wind up with marriages that wind up with decades of difficulty rather than decades of glory. What goes wrong? And so I want to teach us, I hope, through the Word of God, how not to obey Ephesians 5. And here's my first point. Do not obey Ephesians 5 as a new law. Do not obey... Ephesians 5 as a new law. And this one I know most deeply by personal experience. I have been married for 13 years, almost. Nine glorious years. The first four were extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. Spiritually brutal. There was no flagrant sin. There was no adultery. There was no pornography. There was no intentional setting aside of God's call to obey Ephesians 5 in my first four years of marriage by either myself or my wife. But there was lots of fighting. Lots of exasperation. And then after it, we at least knew Ephesians 4, so there were lots of late nights so the devil could not get a foothold as we tried to labor to make sure that God would keep us together. Nonetheless, things were extremely difficult. And and we, we found that we were able to fight about everything. How to wipe the table. Why you should sit up straight during family worship. Why you should respect me more. On her part, why you should love me more. And finally, we wound up after four years exhausted, married with two kids in diapers, and praying for a miracle. Praying that God would do a breakthrough. And one of the things that was frustrating is that we were totally, con- we were totally committed to obeying Ephesians 5. I was not out doing drugs every night. I was not out drinking with the boys. I was trying to be a godly man. Obeying Ephesians 5. And yet there was no real victory. There was victory in that we kept, we kept staying up all night to make sure the devil didn't get a foothold. But there wasn't victory in the sense that we were getting better at this anytime soon. And one of the things that became very clear to us is that we had taken the verses of Ephesians 5 and we had turned them into a new law. Do you know how the law works? 
the law of Moses, and really every law that mankind ever comes up with, it works like this. It says, the one who obeys will live. The one who does them will live by them. That's Galatians 3.12. The law says, if you obey me, you'll get the blessing of life. That's the principle the law works by. It says, you've got to do certain things, and then you'll get in on the promised land. And really, every religion on the planet works like this. Buddhism, you follow the eightfold path, you will get into nirvana. Uh, Hinduism, you live a good life, you accumulate karma, you will achieve Brahman, and you will enter into the blessed nothingness. And the law of God works like this too. It says you obey these things, you do these things, and you will live. You will have life if you do them. But the Gospel is the good news that frees us from the law. The law comes along and says do this and you will live. And the one who doesn't do everything written in the law will die. The law condemns us. It chases us down. Like in Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress where Moses chases down the pilgrim and beats him. Mercilessly beats him. Until he's utterly destroyed. The law does that. It says do this and you will live. And none of us can do it. None of us have the power to do it. And what we were doing in marriage is we were basically saying, okay, there was the law of Moses, that's gone, but now there's these new law of Christ, there are these new, there are these new commandments of Jesus, and if we just do them, then we'll get in on the good life. And we could do that before God. Lord, I'm, I wasn't a perfect husband. I must not be in on Your fullness of life. I wasn't a perfect wife. I must not be in on Your fullness of life. But we could do them very, we were very good at doing this to each other. The basic gist of all of our fights in those years was you didn't do this, so you're not getting a blessing. It went like this. It starts with the kitchen table and it not being cleaned the way I thought it should be cleaned. Or it starts with family worship and it not being rigid and legalistic and nitpicky the way I thought it should be. Or it it starts with something big, like I didn't love you or you didn't respect me. It starts there. And then at the end of the day, the fight boils down to this. I would submit to you if you'd just love me. I would love you if you would just submit to me. I would bless you if you would just do your part. Well, I would bless you if you would just do your part. Well, you didn't do your part, so you didn't get a blessing. Well, you didn't do your part, so you didn't get a blessing. And the resolution of the fight goes like this. Okay, I see that I didn't love you, and so I promise to do it better next time. And here's my five-point plan to get better at loving you. Okay, I see that. I believe you now. Here's my five-point plan to be better at submitting to you. Let's try again. The whole time you're reading the Bible. The whole time you're... You're not out doing drugs. You're a family man. You're a Christian man. You're reading Ephesians 5. Like a new law. Like as if the way you got into God's favor was by perfect obedience. Like the way you earned your spouse's favor was by perfect obedience. By the only time you bless your spouse is if they perfectly obey all of you the day you submit the way you're supposed to. I'll submit to you the day you love like you're supposed to. And the problem is it misses the whole context of the book of Ephesians. Because you know what the book of Ephesians is about? It's about the glorious gospel of grace. It's about the glorious gospel of grace. Don't you remember that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked? 
following the course of this world, following the prince and power of the air. Don't you know that that's who you were? Dead, you were children of wrath, but God made you alive and He raised you up to the heavenly places with Christ so that Christ could show you eternal kindnesses in the heavenly places. Don't you know that by grace you have been saved? And don't you know that you were taught to put off your old man with deceitful desires and to put on the new man who is being made in true righteousness and holiness? Don't you know that you used to be alienated from God, but now you have been brought near by the blood of Christ and He preached peace to those who were far off and preached peace to those who were near. And by His blood, we have been brought near and we are being built up into a spiritual dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Don't you know that's who you are? And you're to be filled with the Spirit. Not drunk with wine, but filled with the Spirit. Dominated by thoughts of Christ. Dominated by the power of the Spirit. Dominated by that. And then, wives, irregardless of how your husband is doing, submit to them. As you would to the Lord, your Savior. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved loved the church. Who am I as a husband? I'm part of the church. What does that mean about me? means Christ loved me. And so the basis for obedience in marriage is not, I've done good enough in marriage to be accepted by God. Or the basis in marriage is not, you've done good enough to receive my submission. Or you've done good enough to receive my love. The basis of marriage is this, I should be in hell. I used to be dead. I was alienated. Now I'm a child. Now I'm a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now I'm alive. Now I'm a new man. Now I'm a child of God. Now I'm an imitator of God. And because of all of those things, no matter how you are doing my wife or now no matter how you are doing my husband I bless you because I've already been blessed yes. Ephesians 5 is a response to the gospel it's not a new law and that applies maybe you're not thinking about marriage right now that's your whole life yeah. your devotions in the morning they don't earn you favor with God you know how much closer you are to God after your devotions nil He already justified you. He already declared you righteous. Your devotions just help you meditate on that and walk with Him. And love Him. But they don't earn you any more favor with Him. We're not under a law. We are under a gospel. And when you're under a gospel, you're not always trying to earn favor with God to get your marriage acceptable to God. And you're not always trying to earn favor with your spouse. Or you're not trying to wait for them to earn favor with you so you can bless them. You are just banking on all the favor Christ has given you and passing it on to your spouse in the way that God has called you to it. So do not read Ephesians 5 and obey it as a new Law. Second point. Do not obey Ephesians 5 so you can move on to other things. Do not obey Ephesians 5 so you can move on to other things. Sometimes it's easy to see the benefits of obeying the Bible. When you see a kid in the store going absolutely ape and their mother has no control over them, it's very easy to say, 
I'm glad I disciplined my children according to the Scriptures. I remember one time being in Walmart and this, this woman had her child on a leash and she kept saying, stop that, stop that, stop that. He'd keep doing it. Stop that or I'll do this. And she never followed through and he kept doing it. Finally, he started winding the leash around her and I thought she was going to go down or something like that. And she, she kept, and I wanted to turn to her and say, he doesn't believe you and I don't believe you either. Like, we know you're not really going to do anything to this kid. And sometimes easy to realize as a Christian, boy, I'm glad I'm following the Bible's principles. They work. They benefit me. But this can, if we're not careful, become very manipulative. Very manipulative. So a woman realizes that if she's very compliant and submissive, he'll leave her alone on what she puts on the credit card and he'll let her have her way with the kids. And so she's submissive like nobody's business, but why? So that he'll leave her alone and let her do what she wants in the areas she wants to do them. Or the man realizes that if he takes her on a date and buys her flowers and takes the garbage out on time, she's more open to letting him go golfing every weekend or letting him go out and do exactly what he wants or spending more money on his hobbies. And so what you have is people who are submissive and dutiful and have not love. They have not love. I mean, why is she compliant? It isn't because she loves Christ or Him. It's because she loves herself. Why is He dutiful and loving and doting? It's because He wants freedom from her. It's not that He's like, I want to see you smile when I give you those flowers. I want to see you rejoice when I read you that Word. I want to see you relieved when I take out that garbage. It's that I don't want you on my back when I want to leave on Saturday. And 1 Corinthians says that if we give our bodies to be burned and have not love, it profits us nothing. And so you can sometimes realize, hey, if I just do a little Ephesians 5, it makes life go a little easier for me. And that is not the way to obey Ephesians 5. Because Ephesians 5 was meant to glorify God. Ephesians 5 is a picture of Christ and the church. Do you see that? It says in verse uh, 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Your marriage, you might be getting along because you've figured out a balance of power. I'm compliant. I do what she wants. We get out of each other's hair. We both get our own way. You are glorifying yourself. You are living for yourself. And you are not glorifying Christ and the church. Because when Christ serves serves his church, it's because he really loves her. It's not so he can get off to heaven without her. It's so he can get her to heaven. And when the church serves Christ, it's not so she can get him off her back like he's some new Moses, some law that's beating her down. No, when the church serves Christ, she does it because she loves him as her Savior. 
And so you don't want to obey Ephesians 5 like some new law. And you don't want to obey Ephesians 5 so you can move on to other things. If you find yourself lacking in love, you pray 1 Thessalonians 3.12-13. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that He may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. you see that in that passage? Your heart can't be established blameless in holiness unless it grows in love. Love is the key ingredient in holiness. Oh, that the Lord may make husbands and wives increase and abound in love for one another and for all, so that God may establish our hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Third point. Do not obey Ephesians 5 as if marriage could be a source of ultimate satisfaction. Do not obey Ephesians 5 as if marriage could be a source of ultimate satisfaction. I see this in singles when I do marriage counseling. They think they are about to enter the promised land. For many, singleness was frustrating, limiting, unfulfilling, Lonely, and now marriage will be freeing, fulfilling, and intimate. And this is good. There's wonderful things about being married. But it misses a central fact. Marriage was never meant to be an end in itself. See, we read the Bible all wrong. We read Genesis 2. See Adam, all alone. It's not good for a man to be alone. See Eve, she comes to Adam. And then we walk down the aisle with our brides and we say, here I am, the fulfillment of all that Adam and Eve pointed to. I'm sorry, but it's not you. Adam and Eve are fulfilled in Christ and the church. The only relationship that will ever give ultimate satisfaction to the soul that will be living water to the soul, that will be new wine to the soul, the only relationship that will ever promise that kind of ultimate satisfaction is when you bow your knees in repentance and faith to the Lord Jesus Christ and He comes and puts springs of living water in you that flow out from you. That is the only source of ultimate satisfaction. And marriage, your marriage is not a source of ultimate satisfaction. It is a reflection of of the ultimate satisfaction you have with your relationship with Christ. Which is why men and women who don't know Christ can never ever reflect Christ in the church. And what often happens is people get married. You've got two single people. They're going hard after Jesus. They're looking up. They're looking to Him. They're trusting in Him. They're banking on Him. They're looking to Him. And then they get married and they look like this. And they wonder why everything dries up. And they think, well, you're not quite doing everything I was hoping you'd do. Well, neither are you. You submit to me and I'll bless you. This is bad news. You don't want to go there. Which is encouraging in a way, isn't it? Because it means, single people, that you already have the relationship you need. You already have it. The eternal marriage that our souls long for is the one we're already betrothed to. 
in Jesus. And when you enter into a marriage, you're getting an opportunity to reflect that, but not receiving a new source of ultimate satisfaction. Do you see how if we you see how you see how it's so easy to we're, we're in the text, but we're getting it all wrong. Do you see how you see, how, see how that happens? You see how you can be in the text and getting it all wrong? Into the text, but it's a new law. These are commands, right? Yeah, but the commands don't work like that in the new covenant. Or we come at this and say, now this is going to satisfy me. No, it's not. It's going to disappoint you if you're looking at it like that. Fourth, do not obey Ephesians 5 as if you were married to someone else. Do not obey Ephesians 5 as if you were married to someone else. There is a tendency when reading this passage not to notice that God is speaking to you in your individual circumstances. It says in verse 25, wives submit to your own husbands. It doesn't say women submit to men. The Bible that I'm aware of never says women submit to men. It says wives submit to your own husbands. And it doesn't say women, it doesn't say wives submit to husbands. It says wives submit to your own husbands. And this is deadly. The word actually here is idios on air. And on air means husband. Idios doesn't mean idiot. but But it is the same root word that we use for idiosyncratic. Submit to your idios on air, to your unique husband. Your particular husband is the one you're called to submit to. And it's so easy to look around and say, he always brings her flowers on Monday nights. He doesn't have as many business trips as you do. How come they get to have new flowers in their garden every year? And to just compare constantly. He doesn't ask her to do family worship every night. He doesn't have those expectations of her. I like what he's doing with her better than what you're doing with me. Yeah, the problem is you're married to me. And Jesus has not got you in a world where you're submitting to men in general or husbands in general, but just submitting to your own husband in the Lord. Now I'll move on to husbands in a second, but how do you do that? How do you submit to your own husband in the Lord, especially when the best of men are men at best? When, when there is no man who has never caused his wife some difficulty in submission. And if we're honest, there's many men who've caused their wives great difficulty in submission. How do you do that to, to, to be satisfied with the husband you've been given? Well, listen to what it says. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord. You're not giving your husband the respect and the submission and the obedience that he deserves. You're giving your husband the respect and the submission and the obedience that Christ deserves. You say, but wait a second, submitting to an imperfect husband, hold on. 
I mean, it's one thing to submit to the perfect Christ, but you're asking me to submit to, to a husband like he was Christ. How do I do that? Well, we submit to imperfect things all the time, don't we? Cancer is imperfect. Cancer is a product of the fall. And yet Christians bow their knees and kiss the rod when God gives them cancer. And they say, I know that my God is working all things together for good, for those who love God and are called according to His purposes. And they take this deadly gift of cancer and they trust the Lord in it. And similarly in marriage, you don't have to think that every decision your husband makes is brilliant, but you primarily focus on him who can give situations like cancer. I'm sorry to compare them into cancer here, but... <laughs> he, can, he can give imperfect situations like cancer. He can give imperfect husbands. But you're not, you're not submitting to your own husband because of how perfect they are. You're submitting to them because you've come into a relationship that reflects Christ in the church. You think, well, if I do that, he'll just abuse it. Well, it's true, he might. And I hope there will be godly men who get in his face and speak to him clearly about it. And it should be a shameful thing to any man in the church to lord his authority over his wife. He ought to be ashamed to bear the name of Christ and to act in an unchristlike way as he leads his, his wife. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And some men will abuse it. But you know what else? You know what will happen to a godly man? Sometimes even an ungodly man when you submit to him? I'll tell you what happens to me when my wife submits to me when I'm imperfect. I want to get my act together. I want to rise to the occasion. I'm thinking, she's going to trust me? Oh God, help me be worthy of that. Peter says that when a woman submits to an ungodly man, he might even be converted. I heard one time of a man who uh, would, would just neglect his wife, was an ungodly husband, and one day he was going to go out and play golf and leave her alone again, and so she just made him his per- favorite meal. Well, he ditched her for his buddies. She just spent the whole day making him her fa- his favorite meal, and he came back and he was cut to the quick and converted. But how much more in a godly man? A man who wants to look like Christ, for his wife to submit to him as unto the Lord and to reverence him. That makes that man, that will make a godly man humble. And if your wife's submission to you doesn't humble you, but it rather gives you a Cheshire cat grin, like you've, you've got her somewhere, you don't know the first thing of the love of Christ. If you think you got her because you got verses, I'm afraid you don't have Christ. Her submission ought to create in Him a humility and a reverence and a desire to be worthy of the submission of one made in the image of God to Him who's a fellow sinner made in the image of God. And for him to realize, I'm being given the honor that's due to Christ. Not honor I've earned, but honor I've been given by covenant with Christ 
that ought to cut him to the quick and move him into humble submission. Don't not obey Ephesians 5 as if you were married to others, men. Love your wives. His wife doesn't cry every day. But you do. Well, that means your wife cries every day. And she's your wife. Yours to love. Yours to cherish. Yours to care for. Well, his wife can have people over six days a week and you're exhausted if you have them over one day a week. And she's your wife. Yours to love. Yours to cherish. She wants to have 12 children. You only want to have two. And she's your wife. Yours to love. Yours to cherish. Husbands, love your own wives. The one God gave you. You are not a generic man in a generic universe trying to be a generic husband. You are a tailor-made man. A tailor-made man for loving this particular woman. If you buy a can of Coke anywhere in North America, it tastes the same. One person pointed this out. You get one in Alaska, it tastes like Coke. Get one in Florida, it tastes like Coke. But if you get a cup of coffee, it matters where it was grown. If it's from Colombia, it's got some earthy notes, like the coffee snobs would say. If it was made in Ethiopia, you know, it's got cherries coming out of it and incredible flavors coming out of it. And so some things are generic, like Coke, and some things are specific, like coffee. And when good coffee makers get good coffee beans, they don't just try to make them all taste the same. That's what Starbucks does. They burn every coffee bean to make them taste the same. But a good coffee roaster wants to bring the flavors out of the coffee beans that they've got, and they want to bring the best out of the Guatemala beans and the best out of the Ethiopian beans, and you've been given a particular woman, not a can of Coke. She's not a generic woman. Meant to fulfill a generic role. Meant to be like everybody else. She's your bride. And you're to bring the best out of her. And her gifts. How do you do that? It says in verse 28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. The way you love your wife and you nourish her and you cherish her is you realize she is part of your own body. Some people say men and women can't be equal. Well, if they weren't in creation, they are now. She's your body. And if a man was sitting there looking at his leg and he had a big gash up his leg, and you say, what are you going to do about that gash up your leg? I'm leaving it alone. That's my leg. (laughs) They'd never say that. You'd get yourself to the hospital. Fix your leg up. And yet our our wives can have gashes in their hearts. And we say, well, I hope, hope God does something for your heart. It's not her heart. It's your heart. She's your body. 
Your wife doesn't have any problems. She doesn't. You have problems. She's you. You're one flesh. You can't sit there and say, she's got issues, God's working with me, things are going great with me, but she's got problems. That's not the way it works. If she's got a problem, if she's got an anxiety problem, you've got an anxiety problem. If she's got an overspending problem, guess what you've got? You've got an overspending problem. If she can't reverence you, you're the one who has to help her. Any problem that your wife has, every woman who ever gets married gets their own personal pastor. See, I don't know how to do that. I'm not equipped to do that. If you're not equipped to do that, then you are not listening on Sunday mornings because you are sitting under some of the finest teaching around. There's a bookstall back there that if you would devour, would teach you to teach whatever question your wife has. There is no excuse for not being able to teach your wife and care for your wife. No excuse at all. I mean, maybe if you were in some church that was giving you fluff every Sunday, but you're just not at that church. So take what you've learned and thinking every Sunday. I'm like, what am I doing here? On su- it's Sunday. What am I doing here? I'm being equipped to be my wife's shepherd. That's what I'm doing. So I better listen. Because she's got, oh, I've got issues. <laughs> I cry all the time. No, I'm serious. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. He's just a rational being. He realizes he's been united to her, that they're one, that her concerns are his concerns. They're just, they're one. For no one ever hated his own flesh. Who hates their own flesh? Hey, Charlie, what are you doing too close to the fire? Trying to get a third degree burn. We don't do that. That's not the way people work. You don't hate your own flesh. We nurture it and we care for our own flesh. We're we're concerned for our flesh. We're aware of our flesh. We don't like to have sore backs. If we get a kink in our back, we want to go to the chiropractor. If we get sore muscles, we want someone to give us a massage. We want to feel good. No one neglects their own flesh. It's just a basic human principle. Only people who've lost their mentality, who've gone crazy, stop caring about their own flesh. Any rational being cares about their health and their ability to function. In fact, what we do is we nourish and cherish our flesh. Nourish means to feed. Cherish means to keep warm. Think of those as your two duties, husbands. Feed, keep warm. Feed, keep warm. Now I have, it took me a while to get used to being married. And I had a terrible habit. And my wife was exactly the opposite of me. It took me a while to figure this one out. My way of dealing with things was I would wake up in the morning, read the Bible, find a verse, and I would want to obey it now. See this verse here? It says, give away all your money, let's do it now. Or see this verse here? It says we should change this, let's do it now. And that's pretty good. That's pretty good. It's not all bad for a young man to want to do that. 
problem is I'd go to my wife and I'd say, let's do it now! And she'd be like, ah, I'm not ready for that. I'm not sure I like that verse. I'm like, you can't say that! <laughs> You're not allowed to not like the verse! And then I'd get mad, which is not godly. You don't like the verse! You've got to like the verse! And she's like, well, let me think about it. Why think about it? It's in the Bible. No thinking, it's just right there! And she said, well, I think the Lord's okay with me thinking about it. I'm not okay with you thinking about it. And I'd be mad. And she'd want to think about it. Six months later, she'd be utterly convinced the, the word was true. And I'd be sitting there looking at the same verse going, man, that's hard to obey. And I learned that it takes my wife a little while to get warmed up to radical truths. And it takes me no time at all, but then I'm bad on follow-through. And when something gets settled in my wife's soul, it's over. I mean, she's like, that's what the Word of God says. We're doing it for life. But I was trying to get her from point A, we don't follow this part of the Bible, to point B, we need to obey this, without any feeding. Without any keeping warm. See this verse, let's run out into the cold and obey it. I don't want to run out in the cold. Wouldn't it have been better to say, see this verse? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Okay, we'll look at it again tomorrow. See it again? What about this verse? Yeah, let's look at that one too. Let me feed you. Let me feed you. I'm worried about it if we obey this verse. Let me keep you warm. Let me slow down. Let me, keep, let me bring you along. What would you think of a pastor who came in every Sunday with a brand new idea for revitalizing the church and completely changing everything tomorrow? <laughs> There's a five-letter word for those guys. Fired. That, that, that's what happens. And what does Paul tell Timothy? Teach with all patience. The process of Christian change is slow. Many times. Nourish and cherish. Nourish and cherish. That's what you'd do with your own body. You'd nourish it and you'd cherish it. Well, he just tells her the radical verse once and she obeys it, but you don't do that. She's not your wife. One pastor said, you pace yourself by your own wife. Pace yourself by your own wife. And that's so important in the church. I find that especially in churches that want to obey everything in the Bible, there's a tremendous temptation to comparison. Because everyone wants to do it exactly right. And everyone's convinced that the way they applied their half a verse is exactly right. And that yours is compromise. <laughs> see this with uh, child training. It's, I should get this into this tomorrow. But you see this with child training. One family's like, God is the center, not the child. Is that true? Is that a true principle? That's good. Therefore, we let our child cry and get them to sleep for the night. Okay. Another, another family's like, God loves His children like a mother loves her children. Therefore, we never let our child and it sleeps in our bed. Which principle's right? I have no idea. <laughs> But you get into this comparison and we wind up biting and devouring one another. 
Rather than saying, oh, you're trying to see that God is central and that's how you're applying it. Oh, praise the Lord. I'm glad you see God is central. You're trying to reflect God to your child by loving Him all the time? Praise the Lord. One pastor's wife said, young women are concerned with methods. Older women are concerned with principles. The young women are going, how do you feed the child? Do you hold the bottle like this or this or this? Or... <laughs> the older women are going, is that kid getting fed? Good. Same thing can happen with young married couples. Are we doing it just the way it's written in the marriage books? Paul's saying, you loving her? You loving her in a way she feels love? You submitting to him? Does he feel respected? If, that, if that's what I was working, then don't worry about the rest. You're obeying the Scriptures. Do not obey Ephesians 5 as if you were married to someone else. Finally, do not obey Ephesians 5 as if you were in the midst of a natural battle. Do not obey Ephesians 5 as if you were in the midst of a natural battle. Have you ever noticed that when Paul walks through the book of Ephesians, he says, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You were dead, now you're alive. You were far off, now you've been brought near. He says, I want you to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Ephesians 3. He says, you were taught to put off the old man and to put on the new man. Ephesians 4. And then he begins to work it out. And how does he work it out? He says, be filled with the Spirit. He says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Children, obey your parents. Parents, love your children. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, be fair to your slaves. And then he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in the heavenly places. Spiritual warfare is not disconnected from marriage. It's, it, it's the context of marriage. Spiritual warfare is not just something that happens to the missionaries that are seeing demonic activity. Spiritual warfare is not something that we simply see in the book of Acts when demons are being exercised. Spiritual warfare is why it's so hard to love your wife and why it's so hard to remember she's your flesh and why it's so hard to reverence your husband and to look at Him as Christ who is your Savior. Ephesians 6 is in this context for a reason. Look at verse 10 of chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God. This is what you need to do at marriage. It's not what you need to do when you go on a short-term missions trip, that too, but it's what you need to be married. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. 
And having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. You've got to keep the truth on. It's getting hard to submit to Him. Keep this truth on. You're submitting as to the Lord. It's getting hard to love her. Remember this truth. You've been loved and washed. And she is your one flesh. You need to keep the truth on or Satan will destroy your marriage. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to stay walking in righteousness. Yes, we've been given the imputed righteousness of Christ, but I think here it's speaking about the practical daily righteousness that we're to walk in. Look at Ephesians 4. It speaks about the attack of Satan. It says this, it says, it says in verse 26, and boy, do these words apply to marriage. Be angry and do not sin. 4.26 be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity. I prefer the translation foothold to the devil, or at least that brings it out. Foothold to the devil. You, uh, you let anger go undealt with for a day, and then a week, and then a month. Pretty soon it gets easier to get angry. And pretty soon you're looking at a stranger in the bed beside you. The one that your heart is full of bitterness towards. And the devil is sleeping with you. He has a foothold in your marriage. You keep on the breastplate of righteousness. Keep short accounts. Keep confessing over the smallest sins. Is there a stumble into pornography? Let it be known. Was there a short, harsh word? Let it be known. Confess it. Forsake it. Don't, don't just confess and forsake to God alone. For confess and forsake and tell your wife. Confess to her. Keep short accounts. Keep that breastplate of righteousness on in marriage. Or the devil will get a foothold. And he'll take the opportunity. The devil is not like bad men in the world. Bad men in the world still have a bit of common grace. They still have God restraining them from the worst their hearts could ever be. The devil is pure evil. And he will seize any opportunity he is given. The shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the Gospel of peace. Be ready to preach the Gospel to your spouse. I wish my co-pastor was here. They just talk, he and his wife just talk about all the time about gospeling one another. Just gospels his wife. They just, honey, I'm depressed. Tell me the Gospel. So they just, Recite the gospel to each other. Feels really awkward the first time. Just tell, be ready with the gospel. When there's feelings of bitterness, be ready with the gospel. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the arrows. When there's temptations to adultery, when there's temptations to despair, take up the shield of faith and believe the promises of God which extinguish the fiery darts of the devil and He will over the course of 50-60 years attack your marriage from every angle conceivable. You just keep trusting the promises of God. 
He who began a good work in me will carry it out till the day of Christ Jesus. No temptation has befallen you, but that is common to man. And He will also, along with the temptation, provide a way of escape for you. The flaming darts evil take the helmet of salvation. You need, you, the helmet of salvation is that knowledge that you're going to be saved. That when the wrath of God comes, you will be fine. And without that assurance from the helmet of salvation, your head will get battered around. And if you don't have assurance of salvation, you'll have a wife full of anxiety, you'll have a husband full of guilt and anger. But when you have assurance of salvation, the guilt is gone. The anxiety begins to depart. And you can withstand the attacks of the devil. And take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, not to attack your wife, but to heal her. And to bring to bear on your husband. To bring the healing balm of the Word of God into their lives. To keep the devil at bay from the ways he's attacking your spouse by reminding them of truth. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Pray for all the saints' marriage. Single people, you want to bless the married people? Pray for their marriages. Don't just pray that you'd get married. Pray for the married people for their marriages. Pray that there be no adulteries, no stumbling, no long-term bitterness and hardness which is more and more and more of people really and truly obeying Ephesians 5. Not like they shouldn't. Not as a new law. Not not as somebody else's spouse. But obeying it as a response to the Gospel so that you can be a reflection of the Gospel. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank You for Your grace and Your help. I want to thank You for Your truth. I want to thank You for Your lamp, for Your light. I want to thank You for Your truth which dispels error. I want to thank You for the ways in which You sanctify us through difficulties and bring us to the truth of Your Word. And I want to pray for every marriage here. Lord, I want to pray where there's men who have lorded their leadership over their wives that tonight would be the night they repent. They turn to their wives and ask them to forgive them. Lord, I want to pray for those wives who say they're strong-willed just because that's their personality. I pray they would say they're strong-willed because they're in sin. And there would be a sweet submission. I want to pray, Lord God, that we wouldn't just be content if our marriages make us happy, but we would want our marriages to reflect You. I want to pray, just as easy to preach these things, that when I go home this Thursday, that I would love my wife like this. And I want to pray... I want to pray for each of my brothers and sisters who are married that they would love their wives like this for the next, for till death do them part. I want to pray for these two couples I know who are engaged, and many, maybe there's more in this room, but just for these new marriages, Lord, that you would help them to avoid so many pitfalls. They don't have to fall into them personally. 
Help them to walk in Your Word. Lord, we pray that You would do all this to the praise and glory of Your grace. Thank You for glorifying Yourself through us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.